Hi everyone and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host Jen Galler. And in this episode, I talk with Adam Ratner, who is the Associate Director of Conservation Education at the Marine Mammal Center. The Marine Mammal Center advances global ocean conservation through rescue and rehabilitation, scientific research, and education. They're the world's largest marine mammal hospital and rescue more marine mammals than any other organization in the world, covering a rescue range that spans 600 miles of California's coastline and Hawaii. Within the episode, we talk about overfishing, and overfishing simply refers to the process of taking more fish out of the sea than what can reproduce and replenish naturally. With the use of massive industrial fishing practices and nets that can stretch for miles, it isn't only the targeted animals that are at risk, but also the other animals that are caught by accident and killed. With billions of people around the world relying on seafood, the pressure of fish stocks has never been greater. Currently, one-third of all fisheries around the world are overfished, and the rate is increasing drastically, so we must take action now to support healthy fish stocks for people and animals. To contact and connect with the Marine Mammal Center is in the show notes below. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm with Adam Ratner, who is the Associate Director of Conservation Education at the Marine Mammal Center. So yeah, just getting started, can you talk about the Marine Mammal Center and what you all do? The Marine Mammal Center is a global leader in marine mammal conservation, education, and research. And we're actually the world's largest marine mammal hospital. So saving sick and injured marine mammals along the California coast and in Hawaii giving them a second chance at life and getting them back out into the ocean happy and healthy again. Yeah, that's awesome. And then can you speak about the importance of just our oceans and marine ecosystems and what marine mammals do? Marine mammals breathe the same air that we do. They eat the same food that we do, and they share a lot of the coasts that we do. So we're really interconnected with the ocean and marine mammals in particular. And what I love about the work at the Marine Mammal Center is by rescuing, rehabilitating, releasing sick and injured marine mammals, not only are we able to give them a second chance at life, but we're learning so much about the health of the ocean. And that can help inform policy and practices that not only keep future generations of marine mammals healthy, but also people. And that's really exciting when we see seals and sea lions as these sentinels for the sea and this way to learn about the health of the ocean that we're so closely interconnected with. And then a lot of people know, you know, factory farming and like land-based animals, some of those practices. So could you talk about the fishing industry and the impacts of overfishing and what that has on the oceans? With marine mammals, they eat a lot of the same foods that we do. So there's obviously competition out there for some of the the common items. In the U.S., we actually aren't particularly creative with what fish we like to eat. We go after the salmon, the tunas, the shrimps. When we take a step back, though, we look globally, we realize that so many people around the world depend on seafood as one of their main sources of protein. Billions, literally billions of people are depending on this. So we know that there has to be a system in place to help make sure that there's enough food out there for people, but also for the animals that depend on it and to make sure we can replenish this ecosystem. With the U.S., we actually import a lot of the seafood. Over 80% of the seafood we eat comes from other countries. 
So they're starting to see a pattern here of how we might be able to work together to inform practices, not only to improve things here in the United States, where we've got amazing regulations and laws, but also how do we shift that global system to ensure sustainability. For the seals and the sea lions, also with the whales and dolphins, we tend to see two big issues. Either overfishing, so the kind of loss of predators and populations, or entanglement in fishing gear. And the marine mammal centers at the front lines looking at what those problems are and helping to inform solutions around either passing new protocols and practices around keeping quotas in place and updating fishing practices around the numbers of animals taken, but also around what type of gear do we use? Because the gear is one of the biggest threats to marine mammals in terms of getting entangled in whether it's pots or netting. Yeah, so you kind of touched on a couple of things there that I want to go into. So with ocean law or marine law, is how hard is it to have regulations or laws, the oceans and the fishing industries to, you know, ensure that what they're doing is right or can be can be like accounted for? In the United States, we're relatively fortunate. There's been a lot of work put in place and some pretty hallmark legislation around fishing practices. So while there's still room for improvement, certainly a lot of the fisheries in the United States are well-regulated and well-managed, and we're seeing return on investment. We're seeing populations recovering. We're seeing healthy fish stocks. We still need to continue work on that because... A, we do still see some fish stocks declining. We see entanglements with marine mammals. But the other aspect is that the ocean is changing. Things like climate change, warming oceans, more acidic waters are shifting those fish stocks. And we need to be ready and resilient for that. Now, that's the United States. Globally, it's also a very different issue. I see great hope in new things that have been passed, things like the High Seas Treaty just over the last few kind of months. And obviously there's been decades of work to lead to it. But at the UN level, looking at how do we protect large swaths of ocean from the pressures of overfishing. We've also seen companies at a global scale taking pledges to make sure that we're tracing where our food is coming from, how it's being caught, And hopefully that availability of data is going to help us move the needle and get countries on board to help take action. That's good, not just for the animals, but good for people in the long run as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And is there a certain species of fish or marine mammal that is commonly kind of like targeted for this or is bycatch from practices? in terms of the work of the Marine Mammal Center. So we're rescuing sick and injured marine mammals over 600 miles of California coast, as well as out in Hawaii with the endangered Hawaiian monk seal. And we'll see anywhere from around 700 up to 2,000 animals a year needing our help. So we've got a lot of data going back around 50 years at this point of what are the threats to marine mammals. And certainly things like fishing gear have popped up as one of those issues, particularly for animals like California sea lions, the threatened Guadalupe fur seal, and the endangered Hawaiian monk seal. Typically, for all of these marine mammals, they're never the target. I think that's important for everyone to know. No one is really trying to hurt marine mammals when fishing, but the gear that we use is relatively indiscriminate. So it's catching animals like seals and sea lions and whales by mistake. 
If we look at the seal and CYM group, a lot of what we've been seeing is monofilament or plastic gill netting. And this is basically a giant wall of nets that you put out, and they're incredibly good at catching things like swordfish um, and other animals, but seals and sea lions can swim through them and get caught in that netting. Luckily, if they're found out on the beach, someone in the public will give the Marine Mammal Center a call. We can get our team of trained rescuers out there, rescue them, bring them to our state-of-the-art hospital in Sausalito, California, do surgery, get that netting loose, and get them back out into the wild. And we've been able to help put in place and be a voice for advocacy on some of those laws to think about where we're using things like gill netting, where are we not using them, and how do we shift to more environmentally friendly fishing practices. The other side is the larger animals, things like whales and dolphins. And we're really lucky in California. We've got a host of giant, wonderful whales and dolphin species, including things like the humpback whale. And we do see them endangered by fishing gear as well, particularly things like crab pots, where you've got this giant kind of cage or pot, but there's a big, long line that goes from the bottom of the ocean to the top. And it can act almost like an obstacle course. And these humpback whales, as they're migrating along the U.S. West Coast, are getting caught in this obstacle course. So we've got a team out there ready to do disentanglement work. But we're also working with the fishing communities, with policymakers, to think about how do we shift the timing of fishing so that they're not fishing in the same areas where the humpback whales are migrating? And how do we help advance new ropeless technology? Continue fishing for crab, but do it in a way that reduces those risks. And hopefully this is a scalable model program that can work anywhere around the world. Since we know on the East Coast, there are also entanglement issues and things like lobster pots and whales. And everywhere around the world, we see this intersection between whales, seals, and fisheries. I think with technology, with the right policies, we can still continue fishing and supporting people that need fish as a main source of protein while also keeping the ocean safe for marine mammals. Mm, yeah, that's interesting about the crab nets and crab pots because, yeah, here in Baltimore, obviously crabbing is a big industry here. So I wonder how much of an effect that has. And so, could you talk about the trash in the ocean and what you all are doing with that? Of course, similar to the issue of, of overfishing, there are these big global ocean threats and seals, sea lions, whales that we're rescuing, that we're learning from as we take care of them can give us clues into those issues. So with trash, we know the primary issue is really plastic. Plastic is a truly amazing invention, something that was designed to last forever, but we use it disposably. And over the last few decades, we've seen that amount of plastic skyrocketing. And a lot of it is getting out into the ocean and entering the, the food chain, essentially, for these animals. So they're ingesting trash, mistaking it for food, or they're getting entangled in it. There was a case just a few weeks ago of a California sea lion that we found on a dock in San Francisco with plastic caught around its neck. Luckily, people saw this animal, they got on the phone, they called our rescue hotline, and we were able to get out there, rescue that sea lion, bring it back to the hospital, take care of it, and get it back out to the ocean. But it does start to highlight that this is a current threat and something that if we don't take action on now, we're going to see a lot more animals needing support because there is just so many dangers from this plastic trash getting out into the ocean. 
luckily for all of these issues that we're seeing with marine mammals, they're human cause, but that means there are also human solutions to them. And we're not waiting for science to save us on alternatives to plastic in a lot of daily uses right now. So that's what's really encouraging to me is that we can drastically cut our use of plastic with already existing technologies, reusable materials, whether it's water bottles, whether it's utensils, whether it's um, bags and things that we can use every single day that drastically cut down on the amount of trash that might enter the ocean and endanger marine life. Definitely. And so how do you think that could be implemented? Do you think it'd be better on a nationwide or from state to state? Yeah, just a bit more regulation on less plastic manufacturing. So clearly things have to happen on multiple scales. And this would be the case for for overfishing, for climate change, and for ocean trash. Individuals have a role to play, but right now, it's really hard to do the sustainable thing as an individual sometimes. There are availability limitations, there are cost limitations. So the more we can take community level action, the more we can shift the scale of this problem to a solution that can really help make the sustainable option the default option. Perfect world would be at a global scale. And I know the UN and other groups are really pushing for a plastic treaty to phase down the use of virgin plastics. The U.S. has had a couple of different pieces of legislation that they've tried to move forward to do similar things. And then, of course, cities and states are taking action in the absence. My recommendation for anyone listening is find people in your community that are passionate about this as well and come together. Maybe it's talking to your favorite restaurant around how they might be able to reduce things like single-use plastic used in takeout materials. Maybe it's talking to uh, your supermarket around policies, whether it's talking with your friends, your school, your coworkers around ways that you might be able to switch out disposable plastics in those settings, that can make a really big difference. And it gives you a locus of control where you have a powerful voice in that community that can help move the needle. Don't hesitate to reach out to your community leaders as well, whether it's your city council representatives or state and federal representatives, because they need to hear from us as well. There are lots of great groups all around the country that are doing work at that local level, but also that national level that you can connect with. And hopefully that takes a little bit of the pressure off of you as an individual having to try and come up with all these solutions. The more we can come together and partner, the easier we're going to be able to actually make that change that we want to see. Yeah, going off the individual level aspect for an American who is going to the grocery store and wanting to purchase seafood, how could they ensure it came from a sustainable source? There are lots of great resources out there. You can go to the Marine Mammal Center's website, www.marinemammalcenter.org. We've got some information on the way fish is caught or farmed and some of those great certification programs. I would always encourage you to ask some questions, whether you're at the grocery store or at a restaurant. Where does the fish come from? How was it caught? And there's some great certification programs, particularly that you'll see at supermarkets that might list that it was caught in a best way. So whether that's the Marine Stewardship Council or MSC, they come with kind of a blue check mark that you might see on some of the labels at supermarkets. Um, Aquaculture has a similar one, ASC, which is kind of a light teal check mark. Um, Seafood Watch from the Monterey Bay Aquarium is a free program that you can either um, look online through their website um, or an app. 
Um, so lots of different ways to have the information at your fingertips. But I think the most important piece is that we have to continue demanding it. We have to keep asking for it and letting people know that sustainable seafood is something that we want to see. Um, if they don't hear from us, they might not realize it's a value that we have. So this is the power as consumers to help make sure that those businesses know that this is something we care about, and then they're going to take action as a result of it. But if you have that data at your fingertips through these certification programs, it's going to make a really big difference. The other thing that I would recommend is the U.S. does have some pretty strong policies in place. So if you can't find those answers of how it was caught, typically you will be able to figure out of where it came from. So thinking about buying local seafood in the United States, supporting your local fishing communities can go a long way in terms of sustainability, as well as just supporting your local community. Buying lower on the food chain, trying to diversify rather than those shrimp, the tuna, the salmon that make up the bulk of what we eat in the U.S. Thinking about some of the, the lesser utilized, the oysters, the mussels, the clams, which are our best choice, catfish and tilapia, which are lower on the food chain. Arctic char. There are a lot of amazing options out there that we can do from a seafood perspective that aren't as pressured as those big salmon, shrimp, and tuna fisheries. Definitely something to consider. And then you talked about aquaculture. So does that farm seafood help with it? Or Aquaculture has been around for for centuries and millennia, it seems like. So there are really good ways to farm seafood. There are also really harmful ways to farm seafood. And the same can be said about wild-caught seafood. What we do know is that over the last few years, aquaculture has really kind of ramped up. And now over half of the fish that we eat globally comes from a farm. So it's not this niche system that I think some folks might think it is. But we need to make sure that as that aquaculture system grows globally, it's done in a way that is sustainable and science-based. And there are great programs out there that are leading that charge. The Marine Mammal Center is trying to support some of those groups. We've partnered um, with a lot of different groups and chefs as part of the Coalition for Sustainable Aquaculture, thinking about how do we get legislation put in place that allows us to set up the systems for companies to start farming in the U.S. because it really isn't something that is as popular in the U.S. It is something taking off in other parts of the world. But also thinking about how do we encourage people to try farm seafood when it is done in a sustainable way. As I mentioned, things like mussels, clams, oysters are a best care. choice so for what we might be able to use. They filter the water. They provide resiliency for coastlines from storms. And they provide really rich protein for people that are looking for it. So this is something that you should also be talking to your local seafood providers for, looking around your area to see if there are aquaculture farms that are popping up. I'm talking with chefs, encouraging them to explore the use of farm seafood if it's done sustainably. And again, there are some great resources on the Marine Mammal Center's website, as well as the Coalition for Sustainable Aquaculture, if you want to know more on that front. Yeah, that's great. And then what do you think the fish populations are going to be in the next, like, say, 10 years? So for all of these different questions, whether it's climate change or overfishing of what does the future look like in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, the thing that gives me hope is that nothing is truly faded. 
the science is out there. We actually have a lot of these answers. The thing that we don't know is what are people going to do next or over the next few years? And that's where we have the opportunity to really create this healthy ocean and healthy environment for everybody. So what does it look like in the next 10 years? If we take action now, we continue down the path of relying on science, putting in place policies that can help it protect these ecosystems that the fish and people depend on, the fisheries can look really robust. I think that the balance of aquaculture and wild caught fisheries is gonna be important since we know that the wild seafood populations, there's just a limit on how much you might be able to take. Um, farm seafood's a way to expand that capacity as the population grows. I think if we look at the bigger picture, we have so many opportunities to write this story of sustainable seafood if we get enough people asking those questions and talking to their their community leaders and letting them know that this is something that we care about. Yeah, I love that answer. And it's so true. And just finishing up, is there anything that we miss that you think is important to talk about? I know we jumped right into um, some of the overfishing and ocean trash things. For folks that are interested in this intersection of marine mammals and people, I think the Marine Mammal Center serves as a, a great leader and role model on that because we do share our shores with so many different species of marine mammals, whether it's on the West Coast or on the East Coast. And there are lots of different groups that do rescue and rehabilitation work. I encourage folks to look in their local areas if there's a group near you that does this. As I mentioned, the Marine Mammal Center is the world's largest marine mammal hospital, but we partner with people all around the world to help give animals a second chance at life. The other thing that I would encourage people to look into is the research that comes from that as well. Because that's where there's a lot of these intersections, I think, with human health and animal health beyond just these threats that we see with overfishing. So at the Marine Mammal Center, we were the first to discover things like cancer in California sea lions. We're developing new treatments for seizure diseases that we see with marine mammals. So these are different things that can hopefully help advance human health as well and give us clues to maybe what are some of the risks in our environment that we need to start taking action on. All of that's available on the Marine Mammal Center's website, marinemammalcenter.org. And we encourage people to take a look and get involved with our work if they can. Yeah, just my last question is that how can people contact or connect with you or the Marine Mammal Center if they have questions or want to reach out? Our work is global, but also local at the same time. So for listeners that are in the, the California or Hawaii area, we've got a massive network of supporters that help do a lot of this work. I encourage you to reach out to us if you're interested in volunteering. We um, work off of a core of around 1,400 volunteers, but anywhere around the world, you have the ability to support and partake in this. So whether it's by taking action in your own communities around reducing your use of plastics, purchasing sustainable seafood, that's going to help keep the ocean safe. And if you are able supporting us financially. The Marine Mammal Center is a nonprofit. We run entirely off of donations. So every dollar we get is what's going to buying food and medicine for these sick and injured animals that we're getting better and helping to advance some of that research and that policy work to create that healthy ocean for humans and marine mammals alike. So lots of different ways that people can get involved no matter where you're listening from today. 
Thank you so much to Adam for speaking with me. And anything we talked about will be linked in the show notes below. And tune in in two weeks for a new episode. Thanks, everyone.